to set the context for the sermon, I'm going to read from Paul's letter to the Philippians from the fourth chapter, and this is verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it in practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Our theme for this November sermon series is grateful. Last week we talked about being grateful for the past. Today we consider gratitude for the present. Living in the present isn't always easy. I spend a good portion of my time worrying about the future, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say, imagining everything that could possibly go wrong. And if I'm not worrying about the future, I'm probably obsessing over the past. And I don't mean in the grateful kind of way I was talking about last week, but obsessing over every little mistake I've ever made. I spend a lot of time inside my own head, and most of that time, my mind is anywhere but in the present. That's a shame, though, because the present moment is where we are all of the time. So much of our time is spent striving after what's next, thinking that, that once we get that new thing, once we achieve that next goal, then we can relax and be happy. And I'm not just talking about corporate America either. Even for a pastor, I, I've heard it said, and there's a lot of truth to it, the life of a pastor is saying to yourself, once I get through this next Sunday, things will slow down over and over again, week after week, until you die. Too often, contentment is something we're looking forward to rather than something we enjoy in the moment. Historian Arthur M. Schlesinger Jr. observed that our society is marked by inextinguishable discontent. Inextinguishable discontent. That's another way of saying we're never truly grateful for the present. But if we can't be grateful for the present, then we won't ever be truly grateful at all. Ask yourself this. How would you fill in the blank on this statement? I will be happy when blank. When I'm healed, 
when I'm married, when I get that promotion, when I'm out on my own, when I'm back with my family? How would you finish that statement? Think about your number one answer. What would your number one answer be to, I will be happy when? And then ask yourself this. What if that never happens? If your fill-in-the-blank answer never comes to be, if your current situation never changes, can you be happy? Are you contented enough with what you have right in this moment that you can be grateful for the present? Now, I'm not suggesting that we should cease from all of our striving. I'm not saying it's wrong to want more, that having desires and dreams to pursue is a bad thing. But learning to be grateful for the present allows us the freedom from being controlled by those things. Being grateful for the present doesn't mean I pretend that nothing's wrong. There may be all kinds of things that are not right, both in my own life and in the world. There may be all kinds of of problems, things that I can't control, situations that I wish were different from what they are. Being grateful for what is doesn't mean that everything is perfect right now. It means understanding how truly blessed I am despite all of the things that don't go my way. It means knowing that God is bigger than any problem and that he works all things out for the good of those who love him. I wish that there were twice as many people in church on Sunday mornings as there currently are. And I look forward to that day very soon when that will be the case. But that won't ever be the case unless and until I'm truly grateful for each one of you who is here today. Most of you didn't have to be here today. There are a few that didn't have a choice, I know, but (laughs) most of you did. You chose to get up on a day that you could have slept in. You chose to come here on a day that you could have stayed home. I recently heard another preacher confess I'm the kind of preacher who will fly across the country to preach a sermon but won't walk across the street to listen to one. I'm truly grateful that anyone would show up to listen to me preach. So while I will continue putting forth every effort I can to grow the church, I recognize that we are blessed beyond measure to already have the church that we have right now. Amen? The Apostle Paul is someone from whom we can learn this lesson of being grateful for the present. Paul was a man who, he was quite ambitious in a number of ways. He was always planning, always striving, always pushing forward. He had tremendous plans and hopes and dreams. He talked about straining toward what is ahead and pressing on toward the goal. You would think someone as driven as that would never be content with the present. But the truth is just the opposite. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, he writes, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. He doesn't say, I'm reluctantly resigned to these things. 
He doesn't say, I'm willing to suffer through in the hopes that it will get better in the future. He says, I delight in these things. How can someone delight in things such as insults, hardships, persecutions? He delighted in them because he knew that through those trials, he was growing even closer to Christ. So that Christ's power may rest on me, that's how he put it. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In the difficulties, in the struggles of the present day, that is where he connects with the power of Christ. And what can make us more grateful than that? A man who was in the midst of financial collapse went to his minister for counseling. I've lost everything, he complained. To which the minister replied, oh, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your faith. No, the man corrected, I didn't say I lost my faith. Well then, the minister continued, I'm sad to hear that you've lost your character. I didn't say that either, the man corrected. I haven't lost my character. I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your salvation, said the minister. The man objected again. No, of course I haven't lost my salvation. You still have your faith, your character, and your salvation, the minister went on. Seems to me you haven't lost anything that really matters. Not to make light of someone going through financial crisis or any other kind of crisis, there are real issues in this life that cause genuine concern and legitimate struggles. But those things aren't everything. And if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that is enough to make you grateful for the present. In Philippians 3, Paul writes, Whatever were gains to me in the past, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider everything else a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul was happy to lose anything of this world, wealth, possessions, even his own freedom, if in the process, he was gaining Christ. That's a bold statement. The idea of taking delight in present troubles, that might sound absurd. Was Paul just built different from the rest? I mean, different people do have different temperaments. Some people are content with very little. Others require a lot more. Maybe Paul was born with a high tolerance of pain. Maybe he was a bit touched in the head and enjoyed the kinds of things that others find disturbing. But in fact, Paul wasn't born that way. We know from his pre-Jesus story that he was a very discontented individual earlier in life. So discontented that he made others suffer with him. He was such an ungrateful person before knowing Christ that, that he even tried to kill people who believed and taught different than him. 
And don't assume that that all changed immediately once he knew the truth of Christ. Some things changed immediately, but other things take time and training. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 11 and 12. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I have learned to be content, he says in verse 11. I have learned the secret of being content. He repeats in verse 12, it didn't come naturally to him. He wasn't someone who was just temperamentally predisposed to being happy or tolerating pain. There is a secret to being content, and Paul had learned it. He had, he had to learn how to be grateful through all kinds of tests and struggles. It doesn't just happen on its own. You have to train your mind to work in that way. How do you train your mind for this? Well, Paul reveals some of it. In the previous verse, in Philippians 4, 6, he writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And he goes on in verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you want to know that peace which passes understanding, if you want to find that pure contentment in the present moment, it begins with this, prayer. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I think it's important that Paul inserted those words, with thanksgiving, in the middle of that sentence. Presenting your, your prayers and your petitions to God, that's one thing. Lifting up every situation to God in prayer, letting God know what you think about it, what you desire, voicing your petitions to the Lord, pleading your case before God, that all comes fairly naturally. But to do all of that with thanksgiving, that takes it to a whole new level. To be able to express your gratitude to God for your present moment, even as you are voicing what is wrong, even as you are pleading for what is right, what you hope for, what, what you long for with all of your heart, to be able to say, God, even in all these struggles, I am so amazingly blessed because I have you. Lord, to know that I am not alone in this, to know that you are right here with me, to know that you sent your son to the cross for me. Expressing that kind of gratitude to God in our every prayer. And to pray like that in every situation, that is part of the secret to being content, to being grateful for the present. There was a student at Hope College in Holland, Michigan named Tim. Graduating in the early 90s, he climbed the ladder of success about as quickly as anyone can. 
One November afternoon, though, Tim called his good friend and former instructor, Professor Brown. Hey, Tim, how are you? Professor Brown asked. A weak, trembling voice said, I'm not doing so good. I'm in the hospital in Grand Rapids, got the flu or something. My folks are out of the country. Professor Brown said he was going to be in Grand Rapids later that day, asked if he could come to the hospital, for which Tim was grateful. By the time the professor arrived, the doctors had confirmed the worst. It wasn't flu, it was leukemia. Tim battled the disease for three long, arduous years. As he came to the end of that battle, Professor Brown came to Tim's hospital room once again. Tim was lying on his side. He didn't have enough energy to even look up at his friend. So the professor got down on one knee where he could look Tim in the eyes. Hi, Tim. Hi, Professor Brown. There was a long, awkward pause. Professor Brown had been a pastor for 20 years, but he didn't know what to say. Tim finally broke the silence. I've learned something, he said. Tell me what you've learned, the professor replied with curiosity. I've learned that life is not like a video recording, Tim said. The professor had no idea where he was going with that, but, but he was intrigued. After waiting a moment, Tim continued, life is not like a video recording. You can't fast forward through the bad parts. The professor knelt there pondering what Tim was saying. And after another long pause, Tim then continued again. But I've learned that Jesus Christ is in every frame. And right now, that's just enough. No matter how bad things get, Jesus Christ is in every frame. Jesus Christ, the one who loves us unconditionally, the one who died for our salvation, the one who rose for the promise of new life, he is with you in this present moment. And that, in and of itself, is enough to be grateful. Similar story is told of Doug McKnight. Doug was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at, at age 32. And over the next 16 years, MS would take his career, his mobility, eventually his earthly life. Doug battled with fear and depression, but through his prayer life, he was able to maintain a sense of gratitude. Friends at church asked him to compile a list of, of prayer concerns so that they could join him in those prayers and intercede on his behalf. The list that, that he gave them had 24 items on it. Of those 24 prayer items on Doug's list, six of them were concerns for which he wanted intercession. The other 18 were blessings for which he was grateful in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Doug McKnight had learned the secret of contentment. Verse eight of Philippians four gives another piece of instruction in learning how to be grateful. 
Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Pay attention to these kinds of things. Focus your mind on these things. It's been estimated that the average person has about 10,000 separate thoughts in a day. I have no idea how they came up with that estimate or, or who did that. I also don't know if having more thoughts than that makes you above average or below average. I don't know. <laughs> but just assuming that's right, if you have 10,000 different thoughts in a day, that's 10,000 opportunities each and every day to impact your spiritual and emotional health. You've probably heard the expression, garbage in, garbage out. If you feed on a steady diet of negative thoughts, if you get hung up focusing on everything that's wrong, all the disappointments, dwelling on every failure, stewing about every slight, then you are bound to become a miserable person. But you can choose what you get to focus on. Notice I didn't say you can choose what thoughts will pop into your head. Things come into your mind uninvited. Unwelcome thoughts can come at us out of nowhere. But we have a choice as to whether we will invite those thoughts in, ask them to sit down and get comfortable, entertain them for a good long while, or whether we will say to those bad thoughts, I have better things to think about right now. Paul tells us to choose to spend our time thinking on things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Here's a clue as to what you should spend your time focusing on, thinking about. Ask yourself how you would feel if everyone around you knew what you were thinking. Mm. If you would be embarrassed by it, if you would be ashamed to admit those things out loud, then perhaps it's time to ask God to change your train of thought. Ask God to bring to your mind those things that build up faith. Meditate on those things that remind you of Christ. Dwell on those thoughts that tend toward peace. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Beware of what you set your mind on, because that you will surely become. Beware of what you set your mind on, because that you will surely become. Norman Vincent Peale said, Change your thoughts and you change the world. Change your thoughts, and you change the world. They must both have been reading the Apostle Paul. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And then he continues, whatever you have learned or received 
or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Indeed, the God of peace is always with you, but you don't always know it. You don't always feel it. You don't always benefit from it if you're not practicing what is right. If you're not focusing on what is of Christ, if you're not being grateful for that relationship that you have with Jesus Christ in this very moment, the present moment is the only one we have. God sent his son, Jesus, that we may have peace, not just for eternity, not sometime in the future, but now. Peace within us, right here, right now. Let's be grateful for that. Let's bow in prayer. Oh Lord, make us truly grateful. For you have poured your Holy Spirit upon us. You have given your Son to us. You have promised us that in each moment you are there. No matter what struggles we are going through right now, Lord, no matter what we feel isn't right in our lives, what we wish was different, what we're waiting for to happen, what we're trying to make happen. Lord, help us to rejoice in what is now, in that relationship that we have with you in this moment so that we can feel that peace, that peace which passes understanding, which comes not from circumstances, not from the world, but only from you. Lord, pour that peace upon us. Make us grateful for all that we have, for all that we are in you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Go from this place now in gratitude, rejoicing in that relationship.